Bryce, what are you doing? Trying to, you know, game. <laughs> what? This game is really hard. Pac-Man? Uh, yeah. Dude, you're supposed to be playing the game for next week's episode of Arcade Bookshop. I mean... <sighs> I will. I'm really close to beating this. Right. And what about the book? Huh? We're supposed to finish a book for the podcast, too? Oh, yeah. I finished that last week. Yes! Oh, did you finally beat it? Uh-huh. The first level. Oh, boy. You can listen to new episodes of Arcade Bookshop every other Monday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you get your pods. You'll always find us with a controller in one hand and a book in the other. Hello, the host of your favorite niche writing podcast, Caleb James here. Today we sat down with indigenous author Angie Alita Newell to discuss her debut novel, All I See is Violence. We had a delightful conversation with Angie. Unfortunately, the Google chat gremlins came out to play, and I think they were hopped up on crystal meth or something because they were running amok this episode. I did my best in post to cobble things together and make it a suitable listening experience, though there is one thing I could not get rid of, and that was this audible clicking for some reason that happened whenever Angie was talking. I promise you her mic was not a tin can in an old boot. It just, I don't know why it came out that way. Maybe it was the distance. Other than that, we had a really fun conversation. I think you'll enjoy it, especially near the end when we get into some serious alien talk. Things steered in a weird direction and it was a lot of fun. So I think you folks will enjoy this episode. listening to the drunken pen writing podcast i'm your host caleb james with me today spencer the california calligraphy connoisseur church it's a it's a little classier today yeah usually you're something of a debaucherous nature today we have another special guest just a month of special guest with a new book out the author of all i see is violence angie alita newell uh thank you for coming on uh I actually think you were scheduled to be on the podcast before our last three guests, yeah. and just the way the time frame worked out, it's like you're way ahead, but uh, I was really excited, <laughs> and I got your book already, so I'm pretty pumped. Well, we don't have video, so the fans can't see the mm. cool cover, but I'll post that on Instagram later. Um, yeah, I was very excited for that, and I can't wait to read it. Oh, I was just going to ask about it. <laughs> uh, not yet. I, I actually had the time, but we had... Uh, Richard Chismar's publicist or publisher, somebody reached out and wanted us to review his book for the podcast, which was like, well, he is a best-selling author, so yeah. maybe we should probably do that. <laughs> uh, so we end up getting stuck with that with all the other things we read. So <laughs> we're like, the debut novel, just put it to the bottom. Yeah. The bottom. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, you're, when does this novel officially come out? Is it January? January 17th. And then it was featured last week in a HuffPost like, book thing with eight other, seven other books written by Indigenous authors. And six of them were pretty well-established books. And it appears I'm the only Canadian author. <laughs> well, there's a nice little distinction. I read a few reviews of the book. I mean, there's not many because it's not out yet, but some of the reviews I read were pretty promising. And there's one mediocre one in there. <laughs> I saw the mediocre one. I think it was uh, the guy had a problem. Well, I don't know if it was a guy who wrote it, but the person had a problem with the pacing or something. Like it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't very clear of why they didn't care for it. I think they gave it three out of five stars though, so that's not too bad. Oh, yeah. I rubbed you the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the tough part, especially if it's a debut novel. Is you just want everyone to love it. <laughs> like, how many times are you going to go on Goodreads and just read the reviews? when it comes out and go, oh no, oh no, what are they saying? <laughs> I, I, I didn't really expect that. Like I, I wasn't really thinking about reviews in general and I don't have any social media. So it's like a whole different world for me. And for me, like I saw it in my inbox and it was a bit like a sucker punch. I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you know any of these early reviews were going to come out? No, like no idea. I guess that's a Pleasant or unpleasant <laughs> surprise, depending on how the reviews go. It went, it went riding so high from like getting like such like amazing feedback to like, whoa, someone didn't like it. Well, I guess like, you know, art's so uh, subjective. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty, there's a lot of complexities in that book. And I understand like with some readers, that's not going to like, you know, there's not going to be like a resonance with it. Right. Yeah. It's hard to, well, I mean, with any work of fiction or nonfiction, even you're not going to please everybody. Well, you also got to look at this way. It's, I'd probably rather get like bad reviews than no reviews. That's that's the, the worst is getting no reviews. Yeah, when people are just indifferent on your yeah. work, that's that's what's really terrible. If people at least have some kind of feeling one way or the other, that's generally what you go for. Totally. When you start talking to other authors about the query process, you're like, whoa, <laughs> you got a no reply? Like, that's cold. <laughs> you just straight up ghost the person. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Especially if you submit to any publishers or you're trying to even just trying to get an agent and then they're just, oh, we're not even going to respond to you. You're not worth the effort. Mm. It's like, oh, man. Are they right? Person, you keep on checking your email. You're like, is there going to be something? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're just going over your bio. I mean, we had an archaeologist on the podcast, and I think that's as close as we got to like an academic writer. So you were a historian? Yeah, I'm trained as a historian. And I, I also have degrees in English literature and creative writing. And I'm originally from the Northwest Territories. And I came out through social services. So I ended up in New Westminster with one of my brothers, which is like kind of like, how do I put this nicely? It's like the outer edge of like Vancouver and it's not over, I, I, like it's not, it's not nice. No. <laughs> like, what like a shitty suburb be in the United States? <laughs> what could I hear this to? <laughs> and people from there have like strange pride for it. Like, they just like love it. But like as soon as I could, I'm like, I gotta get the hell out of here. And so I ended up at university. Huh. <laughs> an interesting trajectory. Yeah. What made you want to write novels? I want you know, like when you're a little kid and they ask you what you want to be, like it's like from like six onwards, I'm like, well, it's either a princess or a writer. Like, <laughs> you're it. <laughs> the princess thing didn't work out, so I had to stick with the writing. I mean, I had the exact same option. Yeah. It was, it was either princess or writer. And I still kind of think the writing thing might have been the bad way to. Princess is way more. Uh, like, it's a better life, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's a 
our gig to get though like there's only so many openings and there's like it seems like there's a real like pedigree to like get in there and i don't have any of those credentials (laughs) (laughs) so full disclosure i do have a set of questions here i'm not going to just read them verbatim obviously but i was interested because you know like the historian aspect you went into writing this book. Like I said, I haven't read it yet, but it's written in three perspectives. And is it different time periods as well for the perspectives? Yeah. So we kind of, I weaved, you know, we have the Battle of Little Bighorn, like juxtaposition against like, you know, the American Indian movement, which kind of got going with the American Civil Rights Movement of like 1972. So we have like, you know, we're kind of going from like post-Civil War to like the Battle of Little Bighorn, which is like 18. 76 and you kind of have like you know with the civil war you have like social upheaval in north america and you have it again kind of in the 70s and you have the vietnam war and there's all sorts of you can kind of see like the turnings of history repeat themselves so to kind of show like well these issues are still here and they're still going on like what's like let's kind of let's examine this like why why is this still happening and then you know a lot of these social repercussions we have today you know in indigenous communities so this is um you know it's pertinent like it's still going on and I, I'm trained as a historian and I started with nonfiction writing I, I do you guys read a lot of nonfiction? not really no not not too much <laughs> I mean, I nonfiction, like, you're like oh okay like every once in a while you get like a blockbuster you're like whoa that was extraordinary but they're you know, like it's it's mostly academics i feel that you know read those sorts of you know you're not just gonna like sit down and go through like general burke's like diary yeah, and, like, yeah. <laughs> that's like a good afternoon and so i have children and so i wanted to you know kind of make like this history accessible so i i applied my historical knowledge and my academic you know research training into making this novel and so i just let my imagination run wild and apparently have issues with pacing <laughs> <laughs> debut novel you can't win them all i haven't read it so i can't judge the pacing but i can't imagine it's gonna be terrible or anything obviously it's a published book i mean what, what more yeah. do you want i don't know why people have to be so i think when i read that review by the way it came across as one of those people were like well i have to say something negative about it. like i can't just like they want to toe the line of just being like oh, this can't be a great book because my level of what is considered a great book is one of the all-time classics so then anything below that, they just, uh, you know, they always have to find something negative. Almost like the compliment yeah. sandwich. Don't don't you just always want to reply to those people and like, and how many books have you wrote? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> how's, how's your pacing? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like my cover can like compensate for that. Like, so like for the cover, like I think it's pretty rad. I worked with a graphic designer named Neil and I was like, I want something that looks like Black Flag and Jack Sparrow made a wanted poster. I was going to mention that later on the show. You really should get this cover as like a T-shirt or something. Because our last guest, uh, David Smith, hey, he has a really cool cover for his book NSFW. And I mean, it's kind of, tri- it's almost like this, except for it's just like a neon trippy yeah. thing. And he was wearing the shirt, I think, wasn't he? I or he sells, I thought he was wearing the shirt. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember. Yeah, he sells the, the you know, the shirt merch. And I think just the cool cover. Yeah. Why not? That's amazing. I would highly recommend going down that avenue because then people be like, what is that? Oh, and then it says a novel right there so they can look it up. Yeah, it could be like, you know, like when you see like a band on tour, you could be like, you know, put like the date on the back. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously this is your debut novel, but what writing have you done before this? Short stories, anything else, any failed novels? It seems like everyone we talk to has a bunch of failed novels that nobody knows about in a closet. (laughs) 
<laughs> sure. Yeah, it's never it's never like the very first thing you ever wrote, I think, that gets published. Yeah, I have um I heard like a backwards telling of King Arthur. And it ended up being like a thousand pages. And it was really really like, like Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite series. So I sort of like deconstructed that and I and people just hated it. <laughs> like absolutely hated it. Like I got like such a visceral reaction to it. They're like, you're good at writing, but this book, like it really bothers me. I don't know if it's because I'm an indigenous person and I chose to, you know, go into like, you know, Anglo-Saxon history or what, or just like the, like, I have no idea. Like no one could quite tell me like what was wrong with it. They just knew like there was something that wasn't good about it. (laughs) There's this weird white male rage that comes about whenever you try to do any British reimaginings and you're not of like just Caucasian descent of any kind. They just, I don't know why, but they hate it. They get very upset. I mean, I saw that with uh, that Lord of the Rings, the, the Amazon show. People just hated it before it even came out just from the trailers. It's like, we don't like this. This is not how it should be. There's too much diversity in this. He's like, you didn't even watch it yet. <laughs> that, that tra- you know what? That trailer didn't sell me on it either. And I love Lord of the Rings. And I was like, I don't know. I think I'll eventually come to it when you have like absolutely nothing. And you're like, okay, <laughs> now we're going to give this one a go. So that's, that's how people felt about that book. <laughs> <laughs> Well, at least you tried. <laughs> That's all you can ask. <laughs> a thousand pages like that took me a couple of years to do. Here, and I, you know, I, I did my academic research, and it was just like, whoa, okay. Like, so you like it's one of those things where, yeah, it goes to the bottom of the closet. And you're just, like, you know, it's sort of like a walk of shame. You look at, it, you're like, oh, <laughs> a lot of feelings tangled up in there. <laughs> At that length, I think I would just self-publish that book just to have it as a doorstop or something. <laughs> just like, this book sucks, but I'm going to use it just to hold down my papers. Um, Keep it on the nightstand in case of intruders. Just brick them in the head. <laughs> or you could like, use it to start a fire, you know? <laughs> you have like, a wood-burning fireplace. Just emergency paper in yeah. case something bad happens. Okay, I got a fire starter. Um, did the people who read it at least, did they actually read all 1,000 pages or did they just give up halfway through? like an imprint or random house did <laughs> they were just like no <laughs> man maybe it was just too soon maybe now that like the lord of the rings is making a comeback maybe you can uh they've been doing a lot of king arthur movies and stuff too maybe this is the time you try to re-release it you know what's crazy is that i didn't have like like everybody's white in the novel it's just that it wasn't written by a white person (laughs) i didn't like you know make anything i didn't go like bridgerton on that where you know (laughs) i would go back and just completely change it then and just do whatever you want with it and just make it crazy and get rid of all the white people and see what they do just for fun yeah you gotta make it you gotta go like full like surreal at that point you gotta go like straight to hobbits So since the King Arthur thing didn't work out, uh, was there anything that really pushed you to write this novel in the way that you did it? Or did you just, it's a story you always were interested in as a historian and just wanted to tell because you go in, like I've talked about before about the three different perspectives. You don't just go in from the indigenous people. You go from other perspectives as well. Oh yeah, I go to Custer. Well, I was originally married to a white person. So I feel like I have like real insight into that. But no, it's um I I originally was gonna write it just from Custer's perspective and I started researching that and doing that and it was just like too difficult. 
was like, this is really challenging as a writer. And then I, in, in my research of talking to Indigenous elders, this one gentleman, he just turned to me and he said, did you know that there was women warriors? And I never really thought about that. And I had never really come across that either. So when I started looking into it, like, you know, Dime Sedona, it's like, there you go. Like almost half the warriors of the American army are fighting are women. And it's sort of been like eradicated from, you know, what we're taught. And I'm not too sure why. Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, it's like this weird side note, like, oh, and there was sometimes women and like, you know, it just sort of like trails off. And so you started, I started looking at like, like the concepts of gender and, you know, like there is, there is definitely like, you know, they were differentiated. They weren't like, oh, these are like men too. It's like, no, like the, the women warrior, like they were treated a little bit different. They had like a little bit different ceremony. Like they obviously fought different because of the size and strength discrepancies, you know, like no matter what they say, like I'll, I'll, I'll never be as powerful as you guys if we were to physically fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's- so that was really fascinating. I was like, oh, this is something, this is something like everyone should kind of be aware of. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just trying to think of any depictions I've seen, you know, going back to old westerns and any modern movies that deal with, uh, like, just any of the wars, like with Custer's Last Stand and anything like that. And I don't remember ever seeing any female characters, like female uh, indigenous warriors at all. So I don't know why that came to be, why we just kind of wrote them off. Yeah, I wonder, like, for me, when I started reading through, like, the American military, like, diaries, like Custer and Burke and you know there's there's several others there like Moylan like they seem like a little bit embarrassed when they kind of got you know bested by women like that seemed to kind of you know they're like oh we'll we'll just admit that but it wasn't just in the CU and the Cheyenne where we had women warriors like it's also the Kamachi and the Apache so I mean like this is sort of like I'm sure like the more you dig into it the more you would see that that's kind of like across the board prevalent. I'm trying to th- I can't remember her name but the only historical native and it wasn't even a native that I've always heard about I keep wanting to say Cynthia Nixon that's from Sex in the City so that is not correct oh she's amazing (laughs) (laughs) I don't think she's native but uh it was why can't I I can't remember her name she was I don't think she was a pilgrim she was a white person who was kidnapped and then she ended up staying with the tribe she got quote unquote kidnapped back and didn't want to live in like what was considered civilization, you know, like a major city or anything. And I think she ended up going back and living a native life. And that's the one I always hear about, like when it comes to the women and it's like, it wasn't even a native though. It's not a native story. Is, is that Kwana's mother? Like the, the famous chief? Like he, he was half. Yeah. And I can't remember her name. I want to say it started with the C. I don't know. I don't know why I'm saying Cynthia here. Also, thing when I was going through my research is that interracial marriages like that was highly prevalent as well. And they actually like they had such problem with the, you know, the white Americans who married into these tribes and they would go to live, you know, within the the Indian communities. And same thing. They were like, oh, we're not going back to that. You know, we're not going back to Denver. They were staying here. And so when they were start negotiating treaties, they had to actually ban the white people from it because the white people knew what was going on. They were like, no, like they're giving you a bad deal and so they called them squawmen and they were like no like no squawmen in here so like they knew exactly you know like like what they were doing like they knew that they were essentially fucking over the indians like and they knew what steps they had to take to manipulate it to get it to go the way they wanted it to go the u.s government 
Yeah, and I watched a few documentaries. I'm going to completely butcher the name, but you are from the uh, Lindy Quay? Yeah, we're, we're, we're a massive group in the Northwest Territories. I was watching a video about uh, like the different treaties and stuff, and it's just always they just always got fucked every time, it seemed like. like Every time there's some kind of treaty or peace treaty, or you're going to get allotted this certain amount of land, it's always some fucking <laughs> dump area, and it's like, oh, you can do this this but then the reservations come up and usually they're not the nicest areas and it's like that is so shitty like why does it have to happen it's because the government sucks well yeah and it's it's not just like for indigenous people that it sucks like, it kind of sucks across the board and like they literally broke every single treaty they made like we're going in like the hunt like when i started looking into it like this is up until present day like every treaty's been broken like that's extraordinary that's like a next level fuck over <laughs> that's a record we have a hundred percent fuck over right that is i mean from the people doing the fucking that's good i guess you, you, you got, I, I, got, I got like 50 percent. you know i was like yeah you know like 50 i was like whoa no no <laughs> like we're at 100 we're batting 100 you, you, you kind of wonder why people still sign them with us like yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i mean like, word is not bond <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every every time I watch any of those documentaries, I just get very, very angry. I'm trying to remember what that series was. I didn't watch all of them. I just watched a couple of them on YouTube. It was, uh, I want to say, like the Lindy Quay Festival or something. I don't think that's correct, but I might still have it on here. <laughs> Because I just thought it was really interesting, but... Um, it's always a little bit infuriating, right? Because, like, now, now I've, like, spoiled it for everyone. Like, they get fucked over in every treaty. So whenever you go into something, like, no, that's how it's going to end. <laughs> it makes you why you makes you wonder why you'd even go to the bargaining table anymore. Yeah. Like, why? What's the point? Yeah, like, there's... Um, I mean, yeah, I don't... <laughs> I got nothing to say to that. <laughs> I guess I'm crazy. <laughs> Well, it's not even just the the historic fucking over. It's the fact that it still happens. Yeah, it's like anytime there's a new oh, we we want to drill for oil. Well, these it's these people's land. Mm, is it though? <laughs> I mean, technically, John just gave it to him. We could take it back, right? Like, ah, it's fucking shitty. <laughs> Yeah, they kind of like structured it so like we're wards of the state. So, you know, we can't make decisions because we're incompetent in making decisions. So they have it sort of structured that, you know, like in a paternalistic, sort of, like, like they structured it knowing that they would eventually want to fuck you over. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you have children, but every once in a while you like set up an ultimatum where you know you're going to win. <laughs> like you could have that cookie, but... <laughs> <laughs> just just doing a treaty with your kid and just screwing them over so they don't get you can have this cookie but guess what next week you're not getting any cookies we get all the cookies get used to it <laughs> the cookies are now wards of mine <laughs> we will trade you you get this one cookie and then we get the whole cake that comes next week you, we, we get your birthday cake yeah. you don't get any of it <laughs> And you know what? The birthday's canceled too. <laughs> yeah, but we still get the cake. We we get the cake. You don't get the birthday. You go you go work or something. Do something terrible and unfun. <laughs> what are the benefits? Because I don't know much about reservations other than that they have their own laws. And I'm sure like the taxes and everything like that is different if, if they even pay taxes. What is the what are the actual benefits though of reservations? Because from everything I've heard, it just kind of sound terrible. 
Like they don't sound the best. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty that's a pretty <laughs> controversial issue. I, I personally I, I think they're like I mean I think it's horrific. It's like a prison camp. Like if you leave the reservation too, you lose all your rights. So I mean like say where I'm from in the Northwest Territories, like we don't have reservations because we claim all the lands are so like, yeah, you pay taxes and you know, but but you have more autonomy because you're like, well, no, like this is ours. <laughs> so I mean, like to to scrap over these like shitty parcels of land that you know most of the indigenous people in North America have forcibly relocated as well. So I mean, that's not even like their traditional land. So now we're in like this weird, you know, no man's land. And so they gave them, you know, what they perceived as shitty lots of land which you know a hundred years later turned out to be incredibly resource rich so you got oil uranium like different precious semi-precious metal like you know like it's like it's it's um karma <laughs> that's when the modern fucking begins because then they're like oh man now there's oil and there's all these precious resources that we didn't know and we gave it to them and now we're foolish so how can we rework this and just get it back and it's just terrible Right. So that's why I think like Killers of the Flower Moon kind of goes into that. I remember reading that nonfiction book and I, I, I saw there's a movie coming out. So like this is like my books about land claims as well because they wanted the Black Hills, but then they found gold there. And this is what Custer's Last Stand is essentially about because they're like, they were like, no, you got to get off of there because it's gold. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, hey, this is like our sacred. This is like our church. Like you're taking away our cathedral. And they're like, mm, there's gold. <laughs> like You got to go. so i'm like it's it's a real mess (laughs) yeah and just growing up we only got the whitewashed history version of you know custer oh poor custard and it's like maybe he was a bastard though like Mm -hmm. we we weren't taught that he was a bastard we were we don't get taught any of this stuff and then when it comes out now in adulthood because thank god the internet so yeah you know resourceful with well some of the information, not everything you read on the internet's uh, beneficial, but it's just that you read about this stuff and you're like, why did I never know any of this? Like, why were we taught this very bland, watered down version of history? It's like, oh, because it doesn't make us feel bad mm-hmm. about ourselves. It doesn't make us feel bad about what our ancestors did because, you know, the winners don't want their, the quote unquote winners don't want their, they don't want to feel bad about what they did and what atrocities they might have committed. So they try to make it seem like it wasn't such a bad thing and uh that kind of alienates everyone else especially the people where these things were perpetrated upon i think that needs changed and that's probably not going to change especially now that they just banned books in history but oh that's another thing big digression as a historian how mad do you get that they ban certain things from being taught now in schools i get more mad about that than i do the treaties (laughs) outrageous like you're telling me like i can't read my kids ronald doll like like, that's nuts um and like custer like i feel he's really full of like dichotomies like i don't think he was this evil you know indian killer like he you know if, if you don't know like you probably do know but he ends up getting slaughtered but he went into that like really cocky like thinking like oh like let's go get him but he had a a profound respect from the indigenous people but he was incredibly racist towards people of african descent like he would not have people of african descent within his cavalry so here we have you know he fought for the north in the civil war you know to emancipate allegedly and and he was just like incredibly racist that way and then he also you know he he dressed up like an indian (laughs) i was gonna say did he do blackface because that's not cool anymore yeah (laughs) he 
had red face. <laughs> That's worse. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. So I was like reading that, like, like you couldn't make up what happened to him. It's like a Shakespearean tragedy. Like it's, you know, it's pretty catastrophic. And I felt bad for him when I was reading. I was like, wow, like that's, you know, I, I, I hope I humanized them. Like I didn't want, I don't want people to walk away from that being like, oh, he's evil. Like, I think like everyone has, you know, inherently good and inherently bad characteristics. And, you know, unfortunately, like with a situation like this, that is so political and the ramifications were so huge, like it gets uh, pretty emotional. Well, just like you said, the nuances do get lost over time. So, you know, we probably, I think when we had Miet on, she, uh, no, Tarina, she used the term uh, intellectual laziness, I believe. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It's a lot easier just to say, oh, Custard was this, or, you know, Lincoln was this. He was the great emancipator. So, yeah, he might have been pretty racist, too, though. You don't know. Uh, we, I'm not a historian, but I believe uh, he did not hold the best beliefs. But, you know, most of these historical figures, they don't, they're not just one thing. You know, they, they're just as good as they are evil. And if you really look at it, most other than maybe like your Hitlers and Stalins, most people aren't just evil. You can't just say, oh, this was just a bad guy because in their mind, they're doing the right thing and they're the hero in their own story. So it's like when you're a couple hundred years removed, it's easy just to look at it and go, oh, look what they did. But you don't know what it was like during that time to be alive. So uh, I think that's where fiction definitely comes in handy because you actually can get the viewpoints and the not necessarily ideology, but just the way people thought in certain periods of time, which is why I get so pissed when people want to like ban Huckleberry Finn and stuff. It's like, well, it's kind of important oh, though. People read that. A hundred percent. And like, I, you know, I, I'm inspired by the classics. Like I'm ex like what inspires me as a writer is modern literature. I ended up, I had a tough time getting into a university in um, North America. So I ended up at university in England who welcomed me. And, you know, I was not only like the only Canadian at this university, the University of Chichester, like, of course, I was the only Indigenous person. And I wasn't treated any differently, like, you know, amongst all these, like, I, what's the politically correct term for white person? <laughs> like, I don't think we got one. Honky? <laughs> cracker? <laughs> white Anglo? guys prefer <laughs> yeah people don't, people don't care white people that's the thing white people don't i mean on twitter they probably pretend to care white people don't care because there's nothing to like you know there's no bad thing you know to like, like, like you know there's no slur so yeah i mean there's there's no slur that's hurtful enough that white people get upset that i know of i don't i mean we don't get offended by most things but i, I don't know any white people that get mad when you call them white people I don't really get offended either. Like, it's just, you know, we're just all humans. Like, I believe in, like, a universal energy. But anyways, I ended up at university in England, and they gave me my chance there. And, you know, white men were actually, like, my hugest supporters, even when it came to this book. Like, it was a professor out of Germany that, like, encouraged me to keep on pursuing it. And, you know, Dr. Robert Mallet. And so I, I don't... I think like the whole race thing is total bullshit. Like if there's any problem, it's the government. Yeah. yeah. There's one thing about white men that I implore everybody to know if they don't. And that's once we reach a certain age, uh, at least this is true for Americans and Europeans. I don't know about uh, Canadians necessarily, but we get either really obsessed with World War Two. <laughs> and then as we get older, it just goes back farther and farther until we get to like the Civil War or we just really get into smoking meats. 
<laughs> which I never I never understood that one. So I'm thinking I'm going to be like the World War II guy. <laughs> it's like the two things and wearing white sneakers, like yeah. New Balance or something. All of a sudden you're cutting grass in those, but uh, a lot of khaki shorts. Yeah, that eventually or cargo shorts. Yeah. To be honest with you, all those things are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like I love World War II. I love smoked meat, and I like white sneakers. So are you a middle aged white man? <laughs> Khaki's a weird thing because it looks like you're not wearing anything. <laughs> yeah, from a distance. Yeah. yeah it's like, Ugh. That person have pants on? You're like, oh, yeah, those are khakis. <laughs> to be fair, there are a lot of yoga pants that are like that. I'm like, that person in the gym is nude. And they're like, oh, wait, no, they're okay. <laughs> yeah, you got to stick with black pants. <laughs> that would be my rule, but I, I get weird looks when I wear my yoga pants in public. <laughs> Oh, that's why you see like men always have like their Nike shorts over top of their leggings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the tights. Yeah, you can't say you can't compression say compression shorts. Yeah, you can't say leggings. <laughs> As someone who wrote the greatest non-red King Arthur tales since John Steinbeck, <laughs> how did you develop your writing style? from that to now i mean i haven't read your wonderful king arthur story so i can't say mm -hmm. what your fantasy style is but is it a lot different from how you wrote this and just the way you go about writing it's it's really similar like i like i was saying i'm inspired like predominantly by modern literature in particular world war one poetry like really resonated with me um like wilford owen t.s Eliot, like the wasteland like that that had a profound impact. Like here we have these people going through these horrific moments and they write, they write it with like such a beauty and like, you know, vulnerability about something so garish that it's, you know, I strive for that, like that sort of allegory and imagery and sort of, you know, almost, almost like prose in my writing. And I, and, and, and the King Arthur book, everyone hated. I did that as well. <laughs> Maybe you just needed more dragons. I don't know. Yeah. I only had one dragon, and this is like, you know, kind there of like the, like the pinnacle of Game of Thrones. So I feel like anything that was kind of coming out like that, it was like, oh, well, are you George R. R. Martin? No, like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, I finished my stuff. I finished. <laughs> yeah, you finished the book at least. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a little bit of a tragedy. Like, I remember I read all those, and it just like, you're like, his is that it? <laughs> and then they finish the series and you're like, but what about the book? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I've had to stop this man multiple times from picking up a collection of the Game of Thrones books. Like they're all nice and put together. I'm like, no, Caleb, it's not done yet. When it's done, you may buy it, but don't buy it without it being done. Do you think that's like a subtle announcement? Like, no, we're finished here. <laughs> I still want it. Oh, I want I want to read them too, but like I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna read the first one until I know that it's actually over. I don't even know if I'd like it, but I I want to read it. <laughs> well, I mean, once you if you've invested yourself in like those books are huge. If you read like the first what is it five that he got to, like you're gonna finish the series. <laughs> but what I'm worried about is is he gonna finish yeah. the series? I need those <laughs> last books. Uh. You don't. You used to hear kind of like murmurings, like I'm working on it, but now you hear nothing. Mm. <laughs> no, he's given up completely. I <laughs> yeah, think. Yeah, I don't think he's even got the first page. <laughs> he got his HBO money. He's like, you know what? Like you guys did a good job. Like <laughs> he's old. Give him a break. Let him wear his weird little newsboy hats and just go around <laughs> town having fun. <laughs> 
So all I see is violence. I read, like I said, some reviews on it. And this is what I wanted to ask you when we started the show. And I completely forgot. What is this actually like the genre? What do you categorize categorize this as? Because I saw in one review, it's just a historical nonfiction. I saw another review that it's literary fiction. And I'm I'm confused. It's definitely literary fiction for sure. And it would get like, you know, like I'm sure in like a and like an AI algorithm, you probably get like some historical fiction in there as well. And I don't I don't think Western applies to it. Sorry, Western people. No Western <laughs> fans. Are there Western fans anymore? Old guys. Yeah. I, I like a couple Westerns. Every once in a while, I want some nice horses and fun stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. You know, everyone has like, you know, a moment where you need some Clint Eastwood. <laughs> I got your next book. I just thought of it right now because this is what I want to read because I did this when Nicholas Obergon was on because we uh, he always is spitballing weird ideas to me. I want an indigenous, like I want a native detective story. Oh. And you're going to make a million dollars with that. You know, I was trying to think of like a spy sort of, like I was like reading about like the Comanche and the Navajo like wind talkers and I was trying to work in like a World War II like kind of espionage thriller. That would be fucking cool as shit. <laughs> there's this uh there's this comic book it came it it finished uh probably like a decade ago but it was like a um i think it was a vertigo so it was able they were able to do a whole bunch of crazy stuff it but it was a it was called uh scalped but it was about a a native american who fbi agent who got sent back to a reservation as like a spy to of this like um some of the guy who was running like the casino was like big into like crime and like mobster kind of stuff and it was like to try to catch him i didn't i haven't got around to finishing the series but it was always a very interesting uh i would idea. like a native goodfellas too that'd yeah be cool. that'd be oh or like a indigenous like casino yeah <laughs> i don't know you'd probably piss some people off with that the, just the stereotype but that would be a fun story i think oh that'd be amazing or maybe it'd be too real because that's actually going on <laughs> <laughs> shut your mouth yeah <laughs> <laughs> you wake up with her head beside you. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That would be fucking terrible. Yeah, just some godfather shit. Like, ooh. <laughs> I like the World War II code talker stories though, so I would definitely I would be all in all in on reading some like cool spy thrillers or something like that. That would be a lot of fun. Because the problem is like when we talk about the cozy mysteries and stuff, they're all the same anymore. Like I want I want a different kind of hero. I want mm. somebody that's cool and has a unique perspective and we just get like the same boring detectives and stuff. And I, we, we could do better. We could have some cool code talker spy James Bond shit going on. I'd be down for that. <laughs> like indigenous style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it depends too how much you'd want to like ham it up too. Like yeah. you can really go hard with that or you could just keep it like, you know. A little more subtle. Yeah. Yeah. The, probably the subtle would be the way to go. But like I said, if you're writing it, you could do that. If we wrote that, we we would have to be very subtle. We couldn't just go hamming it up with all kinds of cool, fun stuff. I have, like, no censorship. Like, I just, like, let my mind take me where it wants to go. Like, I, I think, like, censorship and, like, people are sort of, like, we're living in a strange time where people are being forced to sort of, like, self-censorship. And I think that's a total tragedy for art. I agree. I just I think it's like the things though that you choose to choose to censor. Yeah, like because like, like I can get like some things being upset about some stuff, but it's like the stuff that they're deciding to censor, or like we were talking about earlier, the books to ban. It's like those aren't books that need to be banned. 
No, it's just usually it's just like the message that they want to promote is not in those books or something stupid along those lines. But I, I don't know. I, I am completely against censorship as well. And I think if you offend people, usually you're probably writing something that's important or at least I mean, it depends if you're just going like, oh, I'm going to gross people out or I'm going to be overtly racist just to piss people. off. That's a different kind of thing. But if you actually have a solid message and uh, themes you're touching on, and it just happens to offend people, then that means you touch some nerves, and those people probably should evaluate what their uh, ideals are. I was just going to say that. It's those people that are racist. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> much. Like, oh, like if that got to you, like, there's something wrong with you psychologically. Like, don't don't project your, you know, your hatred on me. Like, if I want to read Huckleberry Finn, that's my business. Exactly. Like, that's one thing. I understand... If you don't want to read something because you think it's going to offend you or even your kids, but why would you think it's appropriate to stop somebody else from mm. reading it? That's when it's always weird. Even going back to like '90s rap, the crusade against like Al or Tipper Gore, yeah, the crusade against uh, rap music. We have to get rid of it. It is ruining the generation. And it's like fuck off. Why? Why? Why can't these people? Like, it's not your kids. Then why do you care? But like one of the biggest things you learn as a parent is you can't actually control other people. Like I can guide my kids, but I can't control them. And like you, you're kind of like seeing this and we're, and like we're talking about like the paternalistic policies of the government against the indigenous people. Like that's what's going on. They're trying to control people. And you're kind of seeing this spread out into other factions of society, whether it's art, like it's, you can, you can kind of guide people and be like, you know what, like, it's not right to think like that. But at the end of the day, you can't control their thoughts unless you want to get into like a really crazy book. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of Westworld was going there at the end there, you know, I don't know if you guys watched that series on HBO, but it was pretty amazing. They had like that bell tower. Yeah. The, just the controlling thoughts things. It, it's it's weird because you actually have people who are so perceptive to that kind of stuff that they could just be easily swayed into yeah. being controlled by the stupidest shit. Not even realize and it. And then all of a sudden they're trying to shoot Ronald Reagan for... <laughs> I mean, if you want to shoot Ronald Reagan, fine, but like have a better reason than Catcher in the Rye or Jodie Foster, <laughs> any dumb shit like that. Like, you know. Well, what is that? Like CIA, like mind control? What was that called? I was actually talking to someone about this because I guess they stole you know like a thousand indigenous kids in Canada out of the residential school so um I think they called them boarding schools in the United States and it ran a little bit differently but in Canada from like the point that uh, we had the formation of Canada and it you know leaves British rule up until like 1996 they have residential schools where they forcibly took away indigenous children they forced them into these schools and these schools like it was the house of whores like they experimented on these kids they flat out murdered them on the name to like you know dehumanize them essentially so they're no longer indigenous to like make them conform to being anglo-saxon but it wasn't even that they were viewed as like subhumans like they had higher higher death rates than auschwitz jesus yeah i never wow. even heard yeah. of that i've well, yeah. I mean, i've heard of some of the stuff in canada because uh trudeau i think was talking about it not recently but so offensive his dad ran those schools and my mom and all her siblings went to them and so like i know firsthand like what went on there like we had physical sexual like 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 violence and anyways the cia i guess the American CIA stole some of these kids and they, oh, what was that called? It was like MK Ultra Mind Control. 
And they were, you know, they would like program these kids to like, you know, do different things. And they took kids that like were perceived as like had like psychic capabilities. And like, I kind of go into it in my novel, but like surrealism was like a big part of it. Like I'm working on a novel right now about Geronimo and apparently he could like summon the weather. Like there's, you know, there's like some magical capabilities. Indigenous X-Men. Yes. That's your, ne- <laughs> that's your next book. That, that's your comic series. <laughs> right? That was just like natural. They didn't have to be like experimented on. Like those, those like magic that was just there. And then like, so Geronimo worked with a warrior woman, Lozen, who's kind of been eradicated from history as well. And so they evade the American army for 20 years because she can remote view. So she can determine where they are just using, you know, her mind's eye. And where I'm from in the Northwest Territories, remote viewing was something really developed because, you know, we go into like minus 50 and like you find that caribou or you die. So people who had these abilities, like, you know, they would get really worked on to be able to tell where the herds were. Yeah, that was really cool. I've read a few things about that. And I always wondered if that was something that like, like you were talking about, like these reformation schools. I didn't know that they actually tried to utilize those probably for war or, you know, covert options. Yeah, stuff like that. I definitely didn't know Trudeau's dad was involved in that. And Justin Trudeau, like we have women in Canada, indigenous women in Canada being forcibly sterilized under Justin Trudeau, like thousands of them. Like that's eugenics. Do people like, hate that guy? Because I hear a lot of Americans now say that he's like fucking crazy. It's, it's, it's a total embarrassment that he's celebrated as a political leader in Canada. Like here we have someone who has a colonial racist background of exploitation and it's still going on. <laughs> you, you know, that's something whenever like Americans are like, your political guy is fucking crazy. <laughs> No, this makes Donald Trump look like, you know, small. <laughs> and he, Trudeau, definitely did blackface because I said, or brown face. Yeah. I think he was supposed to be like uh, Indian or something. <laughs> if that is a one off, like, they, like, you know, more times than he could probably remember. Like, every Halloween, he's like, oh, what ethnicity? <laughs> That's just his go to Pakistani this year. Like, fuck you, dude. I think I one, he's got a headdress on. It's like, oh, God. <laughs> well, you don't understand. It was a different time back in the late 80s. Yeah. Like, we didn't I mean, know better. It's like 2005. <laughs> yeah, he is pretty young, I guess. Like I said, I don't I don't know much about Canadian politics because our politics are so ridiculous. So it's like you can't focus on too many things. Um, I know it was, uh, I always want to call him Winnie the Pooh, China's president, uh, Xi Jinping or whatever. Yeah. He kind of made Trudeau look like a bitch, didn't he? Like, he went up to him and was like, hey, put fucking around or something. And he was just like, okay. <laughs> Someone had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he can't go anywhere in Canada. He just gets booed and they throw garbage at him. At it. Just... <laughs> it feels like he's been the leader for like 15 years now. Yeah, because it's not like terms, right? Like how we have like four-year terms. Isn't it kind of like you're in there until somebody gets you out? It's a dictatorship. (laughs) It's just Putin, but but I guess more polite. (laughs) It's Putin without like any real muscle. (laughs) Uh, A soft Putin. A soft Putin. (laughs) I bet Putin's insulted. He's like, don't compare me to Justin Trudeau. Put it this way, when your country is stereotyped as being very polite and nice to people, and they're like, fuck that guy, there's probably <laughs> something wrong with that guy at some point. Like, you have to look and it's like, maybe get another guy to try it out. 
We, we had the trucker convoy, which got like zero press. But pretty much they should have just renamed it Fuck Trudeau. Like everyone had a Fuck Trudeau flag. Like you put that sticker on, like you're like, and it's still going on now. Like people walk around with like Fuck Trudeau t-shirts. Didn't he like freeze like the trucker's bank accounts and all kinds of shit? It was crazy. It was like your equivalent. It was like probably even, well, maybe not. It was on par with like your January 6th where it was just like, whoa, like what is going on? on here and then they made it so they made like all this legislation that like white people can't protest what? and so we have yeah. Canada's like mostly white people yeah. though <laughs> and indigenous and white people right yeah well it was a trucker convoy like it was heavy indigenous involvement and also um like people from india like people of like sikh descent so like this is a really multicultural like fun canadian event <laughs> and fuck Justin Trudeau, we all we all align together. We're like, no, like we all hate you. <laughs> <laughs> he also enacted like the, um, I think he was the one who enacted. I know he definitely uh, enforces those. Basically, you don't have free speech like those laws where the hate speech laws, where if you say something that offends somebody, you can go to jail and shit now, or you can get arrested or pay ridiculous fines. I'm like, how is that acceptable? So every once in a while, he makes like a crazy speech, right? Where he said like, he compared like people who weren't vaccinated to like misogynist, like Nazi racist. And so what happens in Canada is that everyone starts like calling in and reporting him for hate speech. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, That's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> so yeah, no, he's just like, he's such a creepy little hypocrite. Right here we have, you know, this eugenicist who, like, clearly hates the indigenous people, like, trying to enact all these crazy policies that's targeting, you know, uh, white Canadians for no reason. Like, it's just, it's just, it's mayhem. So we have all this crazy stuff going on in our public schools. We have a big population from Iran in Canada. And I, the Iranian people are just lovely, but they're, they're pissed about what's going on in the public schools. And there's been these massive protests in Ottawa that you're not hearing about, but they can't stop them because they're considered a minority. <laughs> so your own laws are now fucking you. Like, good. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, no, this isn't like a white person thing. <laughs> like, we all have a problem with you. <laughs> well, Canada's history is pretty strange anyway it's very unique because it kind of goes along with u.s history to a point but then like we had the civil war and then we have oh everyone in the south's racist and we just lump people into these categories but for some reason people just completely ignore how racist canada has always been mm. especially towards well, i think that's why because it's towards the indigenous canadians so there's like right. oh we don't care if they're you know just bad things happen to them so they just ignore that and it's like some of that's still goes on and it's just like why is that not a pressing matter like why do people not know that can't like canadians are just racist against indigenous canadians yeah and it's it's not i wouldn't even say like i would say again like i don't think it's the average white person that's racist it's the government which stems the british monarchy right because we're we're a commonwealth country and they're incredibly racist. Like they, they want this land. They want us dead. Like once you realize that as an indigenous person, you kind of get on with your life. You're like, okay, I can navigate this. And you know, unfortunately though, for a lot of people, they end up dead. Well, I have a story published recently that, and I wasn't, I mean, I've heard of it before, but I never really looked into it until I came up with the idea for the story is in parts of Canada. And I think that like Minnesota and the U.S. too did this, but they were called starlight tours and cops would pick up indigenous Canadians and just leave them out in fields to freeze to death. 
and it was going oh. on until like the 2000s. Yeah, I mean, it's still going on up until today, like the RCMP, like, you know, like thousands of Indigenous people have gone missing and like no one looks into it and everyone's involved. Like you have them turning up in like, like really horrific circumstances as well as like, you know, there's human trafficking going on, which I know is going on in the United States, not just with Indigenous people, but all of different groups. Like it's, it's a big problem. We're being sort of gaslit into thinking like Huckleberry Finn's bad. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, there's a lot worse things going on than that. Well, the issue is when the government is protecting the perpetrators of these atrocities mm. or the ones doing it, because then what do you do? Yeah. Like, what do you do? How do you go, hey, government, stop being a fuck? Like, you can't. I mean, you could protest, but well, in Canada, I guess if you're white, you can't protest anymore. Um, that's fucking, that's <laughs> weird. How is that a law? Like, how does that work? I don't know. Like, do they, like, what are they going to do? Like, is it going to be like Nazi Germany and we start issuing papers to like prove like ethnicity? <laughs> it's going to force them to go into blackface to, to protest. <laughs> what is, what, I don't understand what, like, what's Trudeau's utopia? Is it just like this super flamboyant, no white people? He's fucking, like you said, he's the whitest of whites. Like, I don't <laughs> understand how, like, what, I don't get it. I just don't. It, it, it boggles my mind. I feel like there's no like there's no like end like planned out you know what I mean like they're just kind of like going along and it's like you know they don't know what to do so they're like oh like let's ban some books (laughs) (laughs) is Canada bad for banning books you know I own probably more than a thousand books so like i'm not i'm not too sure but like i i read my kids those classic books like you know like peter rabbit like those are a little bit dark you're like whoa that that mom cat's like beating up her kids <laughs> like, what's going on because they're from the 1920s right where i guess like kids got smacked around <laughs> yeah. that's when you look at your kids like cockeyed and see like things aren't that bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, and I know they were trying to ban Peter Rabbit, so I'm sure I'm sure it's going on to a certain degree. I'm not too sure. I don't think they'll get very far. Have they gotten far with that? In the U.S., in Florida and Texas, there are a lot of books that are banned from libraries now. I'm sure their goal is to make it so you can't even buy them, but I don't think that's going to ever. Yeah, that can't come to fruition. I mean, well, we said that about like the abortion rights too. So true, yeah, yeah. but. Um, oh, and Texas, like, I'm sort of surprised. Aren't those, like, aren't those, like, your, what are those, like, the, the like, the Republican states? Yeah, Florida and Texas are big Republican states. The The issue is, and it's very strange, that the super freedom people are also the ones that want to restrict people's freedoms the yeah. most. And that has to do with uh, the, the Christian side of things. Like, they're very religious uh, not they're not no let's say they're fucking not they, they use just it. yeah it's like a morality flex they're like yeah i go to church and i don't <laughs> give a fuck about the bible i go to church every sunday then i go to chick-fil-a and treat well i guess they could on sunday because they're sick. No. i go to the fucking uh you know mad max and i treat all the waffle employees house. like shit yeah i go to waffle house and they wouldn't go to waffle house <laughs> too much fighting you can't fight people at the waffle house they whoop your ass anyway yeah so texas and uh florida though they're it's their governors basically are fucking crazy people and then they just want to really what it is, is it's just uh, anti-gay people and trans people like they hate them so much that they're banning anything that can relate to that stuff. And then anything that relates to slavery, that's their main objectives. Uh, what their uh, ultimate outcome is, I can't really say like what, what they're hoping to achieve by banning these books and speech and 
anything like that. But then the left in the U.S. is really crazy, too, because it's just the opposite. It's like, whatever those people, we want to ban what they like, and it's just mm. stupid. Nobody wins. So it's like toddlers fighting. <laughs> 100%, yeah. except for it's not as funny to watch. No. <laughs> You can't just like punch the person back in the face because they punched you in the face. Doesn't make it right. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I had one, I had one more question because we are reaching the hour mark. Okay, I I, I was going to say apparently a parent, and that is stupid to mm. me. No, you have a podcast coming out, apparently transparent. Yeah, I've been working on it with a former professional skateboarder from Scotland, so he's white. Mm. <laughs> And it's, we're, we've been like exploring a whole variety of topics. Like, you know, we've been, we, we've both seen UFOs. Have you guys ever seen UFOs? I've seen many things yeah. I can, I, un, they're unidentifiable to me. Yeah. Uh, that could be because of the drinking. I don't know, but I have seen things that I cannot explain, but. UFOs, now I'm questioning the nature of my own reality. <laughs> Well, so, like, do you think that there's actually UFOs, or are those, like, advanced, like, I saw them in the United States, or are those, like, your advanced weaponry, you know, how, like, the Nazis had, like, the bell? I think it's just, uh... I, I, I used to think that, but then as I got older and I realized how inept the government probably is, mm. and not able to do that kind of stuff anymore. I always thought it was military test, which would make <gasps> sense, but here's, this is where things get muddled, they get very muddled. So, like you said, the government's very inept, but then that could also mean that's why we're seeing these stupid things yeah, is because true. they're stupid idiots. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then I saw how we treated the fucking Chinese balloon that went across the whole entire United States, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, well, maybe they're not so sophisticated. And then what really sold me on the fact that aliens and UFOs might not be real is when the government this last year, like, they're totally real, yeah. and here's the actual aliens, like the Mexican government brought aliens in, like, here's aliens, here they are. And I was like, ah, fuck you guys. You're just making it up now. I like, well, then who's actually abducting people and probing them? <laughs> I think it's on? just a fun night for old <laughs> Willie and his brother. And they just they got too drunk, forgot what happened, or don't want to admit. I think it's just they don't want to admit it because you never notice. It's not like in major cities when these people get abducted or. You know, you don't see anybody get pulled out of Boston mm. and they come back with a tale like that. It's always like, you know, some bumfuck Appalachian guy or something. So it's like, eh, I don't know. I, I, I believe, though. I hope. I, I hope, hope the probing is real, yes. Well, <laughs> that, 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 but also the, the, like, the aliens and the flying saucers and stuff, because my thought on that was always like, if we're it, if we're the only thing in the gag or in the universe, that's very sad and depressing. Yeah. Well, like from an indigenous perspective, like I started looking into this because he had an ex alien experience. This is what our first episode is about. And I had, I saw a couple of flying saucers in my time, which I'm not convinced is a flying saucer. I think it's your, your fancy airplanes. But when I started looking into it from an indigenous side, like almost all our creation stories, like we are star seeded here from other planets. And like, they're like, you go out to the reservation again, you're in the middle of nowhere. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, definitely. Like sometimes we go on the spaceship. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, what sways me to the alien side of things is not just the fact that all these indigenous origins are like that, but around the world you find a lot of indigenous people have similar origin stories and things they've seen in the sky. Because you have to remember, too, before the modern era of 
1850 and on, the sky was just completely open and clear yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Like you, like, well, I mean, I guess London and stuff before that, you know, they had streetlights and stuff. But even then, it would be way more clear now. But you didn't have all the light pollution and stuff. So you're seeing every fucking thing that's zooming by. And who knows what you could have seen. Yeah. From where, where I'm from in the Northwest Territories, we had Umaria, who apparently these are like giant blonde people who came and gave us fire. And they like, you know, they taught us like remote viewing and a few other like magical sort of properties and they could like you know these people like they had like little portals they would just like disappear and so like this is sort of like a common theme when i started looking across north america yeah it it trickles into um, south america and central america as well with the indigenous people so i mean that to me that was kind of fascinating because i went into it like highly skeptical i'm like oh i don't know about this like and you every every once in a while even like within the indigenous stories you hear these like tiny little gray fuckers that are like stealing people and probing them (laughs) why are they always pro when when's enough enough i think they're just having fun now like at some point you have to be like okay i don't need to keep probing i know what's in there and it's dirty What if they just been checking everybody's parts face to making sure nobody has cancer? They just they've been <laughs> very altruistic. You know what would be funny is if they came down and they're probing everybody for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's like actually we have the technology. We could just scan you. And we know we don't even need to do this. We're just doing it for shits and giggles. Yeah. Just see, testing out the probing equipment. <laughs> That's what that thing is at your airport. You know, that like. <laughs> oh, what if they're just the TSA of the universe and they just come here to test out their equipment? So I traveled to the United States on an airplane for the first time in a long time. A few weeks ago, I went to like this Dr. Sue Mortar, like healing yoga hippie retreat in Scottsdale, Arizona. And one, I saw a UFO in the sky and I started walking towards it because you're kind of like on, we were staying at this hilltop at the fringe of Scottsdale. And then as I'm like walking towards it, all of a sudden like pinged in my brain. I'm like, no, all those people that get like abducted and probed. And I ran back to the hotel. And two, when I went to go leave the United States, they want to put everyone in those big things. You know, they don't have those. Like I, I went to Greece in the summer and like I've traveled other places and like that's something special to America, those things. And I wouldn't go in it. And the TSA is like, what do you mean? I'm like, I'm not going in there. Like, what is that? <laughs> that was invasive. And they're like, are you saying that you're like not going to go in there? I'm like, that's right. And so they just made me stand on the side for like 20 minutes. It's like, chick came up, like felt me up. And then they just set me on my way. <laughs> like It was the strangest thing. I hate those things. You get you get filled up or you get the cancer. One of the two. Well, you don't just get the ca- the cancer either. I, from my understanding, they can see you nude. Oh, yeah. You go through, and I think they just want to see you nude. <laughs> well, that's okay. This TSA just, like, went in my bra. So I was, I was saying to her, I'm like, are you buying me dinner now? <laughs> Every every single airport experience I've ever had, it was the angriest black lady that was always just like, no, spin, put your hands up, put your fucking hands down. Like, whoa, okay, up, down, up, down, spread. And I think they're just fucking with you. Well, even whenever we would go to uh, conventions and they had had the the thing separated and we would have to go go through multiple times. Like, they would even still be a little sassy with us. Always sassy, and they always lick my shorts, because I wear the shorty shorts when I go there, because I don't want them to see everything, you know. If I'm going to get fondled, you're fondling me, right? But, uh... <laughs> okay. You got to no work other, for it. There's no other country in the world feeling people up. It's just the United States. Just the U.S. Government, that's the Patriot Act <laughs> in action, isn't it? Or whatever, after 9-11, we got to feel everybody's genitals. <laughs> I don't know how, like, what they're looking for and why no one else is looking for it. 
<laughs> Maybe that's the precursor for the alien race. Maybe we're in a circular loop in time in history. So when you right now we are the creating the probes. Yeah. And eventually we become a spacefaring race and we go to other planets and, and we, we probe. So and somehow we go through a time loop where our future selves come back and probe us. <laughs> Okay, so I was talking to this woman about the aliens, and when you start talking aliens, like, you draw some, like, thoughts out of people, and this woman said that to me, she's like, you know those tiny greys? Those are future humans. I was like, whoa! <laughs> like, that is dark! Like, we're turning into Gollum. <laughs> that is pretty much the uh, the interstellar from Christopher yeah. Nolan. The ending is basically just future humans. Uh, they weren't grey aliens in that, though. It was just, we created some kind of weird... Uh, I forget what it was called, but it was just like the fourth dimension and we created it. And it, uh, I was like, I don't know if it's possible. I'd like to think that we could go back and make us not so dumb. Mm. <laughs> like, why would we choose that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it totally starts with that TSA machine. <laughs> That's uh, just why. Like, when who created that? Who was like, we need it to be more invasive because it doesn't seem like it does anything because once you get out of it, they still fondle you and yeah. zap you. And uh, Oh, no way. I thought I just got fondled because I like, you know, I thought that was my punishment. No, everybody gets fondled. <laughs> no, they like the fondling. Sometimes you get refondled. Sometimes but you go in the bathroom and they come in and fondle you. <laughs> you can forego that machine and just get the fondle. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is, I don't, I don't even know what they're really checking for because one time um, I was coming back from California and my wife, she decided to smuggle a bunch of edibles in Pennsylvania at the time. It was, well, it's still not legal recreational, yeah. but it wasn't legal here. And she was like, oh, I'll just put them in a bunch of uh, like cough drop wrappers. Like she went the extra mile and she's going to take them on the plane <laughs> for some reason. And they pulled her out of line. And they did all the molester and they do and they were looking through all our stuff. And I'm standing off on the side. I was like, how am I going to get her out of jail? I don't got that kind of money. <laughs> and then they just end up letting her go. They didn't give a shit about any of it. I think they just wanted to touch. I well, think that's just what like what, it was like the hell jail or something. Then they like look at a hair jail or something because they had a lot of ladies over there. So they were using that like, you know, because you can only have so much. They don't want you to make a bomb out of hair gel. They don't care if you're fucking smuggling coke or anything else, I guess. <laughs> I didn't understand what they were looking for, and I didn't understand how, like, doing that, you're going to find it. <laughs> so you're telling me if I go to Canada, they're not going to stick a thumb up my bum? No, they don't. You just go through the, uh, you know, the old-fashioned metal detector. In the U.S., then, it's so it's not just invasive; it's also very aggressive. Like, take off your shoes, put everything on the fucking conveyor belt, go, 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 go. You're like, oh, 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 right in front of everyone, in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, no one else is removing shoes. No one else. You get to keep. You get to keep all your shit on. Well, why do you have to remove your shoes when they got the big machine? See yeah. what's in your shoes. I don't. What the fuck's the point? No, that's just like that's a power and control thing. Like a hundred percent. That's like, oh, are you gonna do this or like, are you gonna go into that room? <laughs> it's because we are in the dystopian future that our forefathers have warned us that was coming, and we said, nah, it won't ever happen. And it just slowly happens, and now you're getting molested at the airport every time you go, unless you're rich. That probably doesn't happen to rich people. No, they just like drive up to the tarmac and they hop on their private jets. <laughs> They're the ones doing the molestering. Oh, obviously. <laughs> I mean, there was a whole island about that. <laughs> it's probably like, you know, on like rich people television. It's like reality TV where they just watch people going through the TSA screen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One final question before we end this. So... And I'm already predicting where you're going, but are you team gray alien or are you team Bigfoot? 
because there's hard camps of you're either this or that. You get the Loch Ness monster mm. people; those are weird. We don't talk to those people. But the Bigfoot people—that's a different kind of people, yeah. and they're very hardcore about Bigfoot. You know, I think like probably like Bigfoot. Wouldn't he be like that big tall fucker from Star Wars, Chewbacca? Kind of, yeah. 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 Kind of be a Wookie, yeah. I think he's supposed to be more ape-like though, a little yeah. bit thicker. Chewbacca was more dog-like. But has anyone like have we any of us got a good look at Bigfoot? Like I bet you that's I bet you that's Chewbacca and he's probably just driving the Gray's spaceship. What if Bigfoot is an alien? That mm. just blew my mind. hundred percent. hundred percent that's an alien. <laughs> that that was only in one of those ancient alien that was an episode. Well Bigfoot uh, is Bigfoot an alien? Underneath the fur, he is gray. <laughs> Well, no, I think I think he just like works for the Grays. You know, he's hired as like a freelance pilot or a dirty like, henchman. I like dirty henchman better yeah. than pilot. I mean, well, obviously, if it's real Chewbacca, then yeah, he, he's more. High. They didn't give him a medal though. No, he never. They retconned it in the later Star Wars movies. They gave him a medal, but originally he didn't get a medal he with did everyone. Not get a medal. It's like he. No, he sort of like you know like wasn't he sort of almost like you know. Like taking advantage of Chewbacca, like <laughs> they exploited him. They were like, "Oh, this like dumb fucker can drive the spaceship." Depends how sentient he is. Yeah. I mean, uh, he has a family. Yeah, he got kids. Oh, no. Yeah, there's like, there's a whole species of 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 them. Well, for sure, they're the big feet that come here and like wander around while they're like refueling on like probing people. <laughs> how mad would you be if you were Bigfoot and everyone's just one labeling you by a body part? Yeah. They, I couldn't have been big dick. I had to be big foot. Great. And two, just one foot, not both. It's not big feet, which makes sense. He's big, big foot, little foot. Big foot, little foot. Okay. We have to end this because I'll just keep going on about the big feet. Um, so, promotional time because you do have the podcast that we barely talked about coming out. Um, when's that drop? Yeah, we won't be ready till the beginning of December because, um, yeah, we... I've been really busy, <laughs> but it'll be ready at the beginning of December. It's going to be audio and video, and it's pretty funny. It's, it's actually really similar to this. We'd love to have you guys on as guests. I would yeah. love to come on. If we could talk about Bigfoot and stuff like that, I'm definitely down. Uh, I think we could touch topics that no one has ever touched. That's a bold claim. Oh, We're not doing I, that. My mind goes to some dark places. <laughs> So when you're not getting molested at the airport and you're not writing awesome oh, King Arthur there, stories. No one, no one else gets molested worldwide. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet, in social medias? Uh, I don't know if you uh, could say when your book, is, like where it's going to well, drop, any of that stuff. Yeah, we can buy it on Amazon and all your other sort of online vendors like Barnes and Nobles. It comes out January 16th. And then I have a website and I don't have this this mysterious social media yet, but it's something that I'm supposed to get, but I'm I'm fancy about it. It's not worth it. <laughs> Just gonna tell you now. We've had uh this for years and the social media makes things worse. <laughs> Like it makes people just not like you, it seems. <laughs> it gives them the tools. If I felt like sucker punched by that one, like not so bad review, like I could, I don't know, I might not be able to handle like what like people have to say about me. <laughs> the trick is not to read anything. <laughs> just like most Americans. <laughs> I recommend if you do social media, just do Instagram. Yeah. Don't do any other one. Facebook, no. Twitter, X, whatever the fuck it is, no. no. 
I wouldn't even go blue sky. Just, just don't do any of that stuff where people talk to you a lot. Pictures, and you can put excerpts of your books as pictures. People like that, maybe some videos. Don't do TikTok either. They then, can see the cover of your awesome book on there. Yeah, that would be, and telling you, make it a t-shirt. I will buy the t-shirt because yes. I really like the cover. It is cool. Yes, I would also recommend doing like a neon version of that cover. That would be like kind of like 90s, but like postmodern, like deconstructed, like 2023. Like That'd be badass. That would be super badass. If you folks want to check out that cool cover, I'm going to post it when this episode drops. You could do that at DPW Podcast on Instagram. And I don't know if the picture comes up on Twitter. Who the fuck knows? Mm-hmm. I don't even barely post anything on there. But just Google us and we come up on a bunch of social media things. Spencer, I'm going to change your name. Okay. You, your OnlyFans this week is going to be the California Cognac Connoisseur. Because okay. a connoisseur of... Uh, what was it? Calligraphy? That doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure, that would work. I mean, are you gonna be good at doing the fancy? I got, no. I got weird pens. Yeah, you got weird <laughs> pens that are fucking inconvenient to use. <laughs> you got to dip them and nah, doing all that. Need to be a drunk. Yes, and again, we thank our special guest who loves aliens and all that fun stuff, Angie Alita Newell. I was wondering if you could do it for a second time. Newell. It it flows out of your mouth. Uh, Yeah, you need (laughs) uh, We thank you for coming on. It was a lot of fun. And uh, like I said, we would love to come on your show. Yeah. Yeah, when that comes out, let us know. Uh, Send us some episodes. We'll share it. We'll do all that fun stuff. Thank you so much for having me. All right, folks. And we thank you for listening this week, if you want. Next week, we are doing Chasing. Becoming. Becoming the Boogeyman. You sure it's not coming on the Boogeyman? That's the Dick Chismar. <laughs> yeah. That's Dick Chis. That's a different. That's like the erotic reimagining. Yeah, yeah we're not. That's, that's not the, that one. That's the parody. That's the, that's the uh, Patreon episode. <laughs> you got to pay for that one. Hey, Caleb, you wanted to see me? Ah, Spencer, my good fellow. I've been expecting you. <laughs> uh, yeah, so did you want something or... Want? Goodness, no. Require. Require? Yes. I require your services for the briefest of moments. Okay. Surely you can see the predicament I'm in. Well... Actually, no, I can't. I lost my glasses at the pub last night. A pub, you say? Surely you can't be serious. As serious as a fart during a recto exam. And stop calling me Shirley. Rightio. Anyway, if your spectacles were affixed upon your face, you'd see that I, the host of the most prodigious writing and books podcast in the business, has been immobilized by a rather substantial stack of fallen folios. What? My to-read pile finally fell on me while I was taking a nap. But you're on a podcast table. I hardly see how that matters. And you're naked. I hardly see how that matters. Dude, your hairy ass is touching my drink coaster. I hardly see how that matters. It matters to me. Can you just unbury me? No way. Your reckless reading got you into this mess. Blockhead! Wait! Don't go! There's a copy of War and Peace wedged in my taint! Spencer! Can you at least leave me a bottle of whiskey?
Hello? Can't get enough drunken nonsense? Listen to new episodes of the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast every Tuesday wherever you get your pods.